Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, good morning again, everybody. Everybody doing okay? All right. Okay, good. Um, again, welcome here and welcome to you online. Grateful uh, that you have joined us. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Exodus again. We are working our way uh, kind of episode by episode uh, through the book of Exodus. And we are uh, on epi- season one, episode two, if you're keeping track at home. Uh, <clears throat> and um, just start it out this way. You may um, remember the movie. You've seen it maybe multiple times now, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Anybody? Seven Prime Ryan, multiple times. I've seen it multiple times. Uh, it's one of those movies, uh, there's a list of about four or five that every time it's on and I swing by, you know, a channel that's on, I'm like, oh, let's watch for a few minutes at least. Uh, the, the very first opening scene, I don't think I'm going to uh, ruin this for anybody, but the very first opening scene um, uh, has uh, one of the characters there in uh, the cemetery uh, in France and, uh, you know, he falls down and then it pans, goes kind of through his eye and pans to... Um, D-Day, June 6, uh, 1944. And in that very brief, it's like a 90-second um, clip right there, you're really introduced to the main um, characters of, of Saving Private Ryan. That's kind of where we are right now. Because the story of Exodus in chapter 3 in particular is introducing uh, the main characters. And you think to yourself, the main character of Exodus is... That's what Moses, most people would say that. And you wouldn't necessarily be wrong, but uh, it's, I think, probably more accurately said, it's God working through Moses. And that's, that's not a Jesus juke, okay? I mean, like legit, God is at work through Moses to bring about his purposes. And what are his purposes? Deliverance of the people of God out of what they are in, bringing, making them a new people and bringing them together uh, to be a new people. Their story is our story. Uh, We need to be delivered out of the things that we find ourselves in. We need to be made new and brought into to be a part of a new people. Their story is our story. It's one of the reasons we're looking here at Exodus. And so episode two here um, in chapter three uh, is where we're going to be. Um, And uh, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. If you're a user of the Bible app, feel free to track along with um, the sermon notes and scriptures and all that stuff. And if you need a Bible that you can like put in your lap, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free uh, to use those or you can take it with you here. Uh, Just just so that everybody's up to speed on where we are. um, God has uh, uh, the, the people of God have gone down into Egypt. Uh, they experienced abundance there for a while. And then uh, there was a regime change, cultural change, political change. They are now in slavery and working very hard under this oppressive ruler. And um, God is raising up Moses. That This is the process where we find ourselves. We're actually going to, there's um, kind of six statements of identity that God gives us here in, in this chapter and uh, as he introduces himself. And that's, that's what I want to walk through today. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and he knew. I love that phrase. And he knew. So here's Introductory statement as we're introducing the main characters of this uh, of this story as it unfolds. Here's introductory statement number one. I am aware. God is aware. That, that's what he's saying. Uh, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. So just a couple things here. One, God, God is aware of 
our situation. He is aware of what's going on. He is aware of the cultural climate. He is aware of the political climate. He is aware of the socioeconomic climate. He is aware of the family climate. He is aware of the stuff that's going on in our work. He is aware of our situation. He's clear that the world is what the world is. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows where the storms are. He knows where the the calm is. He knows where the problem spots are. He knows where the hot spots are. He knows what's going on. He is aware of our um, situation. And when it says in verse uh, uh, 23 there, their cries, they, they cried out for help and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Did you see that? They came up to God. What does that mean? It means simply that God was close enough to hear them. And that, that's, can we just be glad for that? God was close enough. He was close enough to hear that. He wasn't far away. And, and um, it is unique. The cry of the people of God is uniquely loud when those people are being oppressed. So here's, here's uh, just modern day application for this moment here. Um, it's not that uh, if we're praying, God like, uh, I'm sorry, I've got another call coming in. Can you hold please click? It's not, that's not what I'm saying. But um, the, the cries of the Afghani Christians right now, they are not, not ex- exclusively in God's ear, but they are especially loud in God's ear. Like there is a, a radar, if you will, that goes off. It's like, my people are suffering there and we need to be uh, aware of that. So uh, Psalm 34, the psalmist uh, put it this way. You can just read along here. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Do you get that? Like God is looking down and he's going, man, I see my people and I see what's going on. I, I got my ear tuned in here. And notice he says towards the righteous, you and I, God doesn't hear us because of our voices. God hears us because we are made righteousness. We are made the righteousness of God in Jesus. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward the cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off their memory of them from the earth. Are you glad for that? That evil doesn't stand forever. Pharaoh eventually falls. Babylon eventually goes down. Things will shift in our world. They just will because God won't let evil stand forever. This is verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. What a promise. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the Christian spirit. So just, again, he he is aware of our situation. But let's bring it out of this and bring it down to this. He's not only aware of our situation, he is aware of your situation. Your personal situation. So in chapter 3 now, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. We'll get to that uh, here in just a second. So Moses, you'll remember from last week, Moses... Um, had uh, uh, seen uh, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and uh, he struck down the Egyptian taskmaster, hit him in the sand, went out the next day, figured out, uh uh-oh, the news is out. Uh, Somebody put that on social media. I didn't realize they had it. And uh, off off he ran. He ran. He ran to uh, the wilderness, lived there for 40 years, became a shepherd, got married, all the things that were happening. He was just living there. And he thought to himself, hey, I'm out in the wilderness. I need to be out in the wilderness. There's no place for me back there. But that wasn't what God had in mind. God is aware not only of our situation, but your situation. Uh, God may not 
you, God may not be on your radar, but you're on His. Um, the, the things that you have experienced, you may think disqualify you, kick you out, move you on, send you out to the wilderness. But you're not the final arbiter of your life. You, you are not the one, the judge, who says, hey, listen, uh, this is over and this is done. Uh, God is the one who decides. When you, and you think to yourself, yeah, but I mean, I'm headed to the wilderness packing up a U-Haul full of regret right here. You're not the one who gets to say if you're done or not. God does. He is the only one who does that. He knows exactly where you are. He is aware of not just our situation, but your situation. He knows your mistakes, the past ones, the present ones, the ones you'll make in the future. He knows. He's aware of your situation. He, he's, he knows where you are. He knows where you are. Second introduction comes in verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So for all you kids in here, here's a big scrawny bush, right, that's out there uh, out in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, it looks like it's on fire. And Moses can't figure out. Anybody ever seen a bush on fire before? Raise your hand. This one did not burn up. That was the craziest part. That's what Moses, that's what caught Moses' attention. So uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the bush. He looked, and behold, the brush was burning. Excuse me, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. Verse 3, Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. He said, don't come near. Don't do it. Take off the sandals of your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid uh, to look on God. So uh, the second introductory statement, I am aware, that's number one. Number two, I am holy. I am holy. When we talk, and again, holy may be one of those church words. It's actually a great church word, but it's one of those words that you may not have a lot of context for or a lot of explanation. So let me just give you four words uh, to put in your brain if you want to. It never offends me. If you take your camera out, snap a picture of the screen, whatever you want to do, that, just to keep those words before you. And when we talk about holy, there's four words. Number one, different. That God is like in his substance, in his essence, um, he is fundamentally different. The gods of the Old Testament, the gods that Moses would, uh, if you will, do battle with um, there in Egypt, they were associated in, with a place or a, a, a body. So you had the god of the Nile. Uh, they, uh, the Egyptians worshipped the god of the sun. Other people had, you know, the god of this mountain or the god of that plain. So god is fundamentally different than all of that. He, he is not tied to any specific place, nor is he tied to any specific um, machination in the known universe. He is fundamentally different. Um, secondly, one of the ways that that different difference presents itself is he is thoroughly, 100% pure. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says it this way. This is the testimony. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Zero. Not a drop. Not a touch, not an atom, not an iota, not a molecule, nothing. There is no darkness in God. There is nothing that will uh, dim his purity. Nothing. Nothing at all. 
So when we say God is holy, we're talking about him being a fundamentally different being than any other being in the universe. And that, that one of the fundamental differences is he is thoroughly pure. He is thoroughly pure. Thirdly, um, because he's different and because he's pure, it is a, it is a thing of beauty. And so we see in the scripture uh, calls in the Psalms in particular, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. There's something about it that is attractive. And lastly, there's something about it that is inspiring. It, it, it inspires all. Uh, when we say, God, you are awesome, that's what we're talking about here. That this, this uh, in fact, uh, in Exodus 15, when we get there, they crank off the first worship song. And uh, um, one of the things that uh, appears on the screens there as they worship is, uh, you are awesome in holiness. God's holiness inspires all. So when we think about different and pure uh, and beauty and all, that's what we think about when we think about holiness. And so what is our best response? When God introduces himself and says, I'm holy, what is our best response? Just what Moses did uh, back in verse uh, 4. Uh, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called out to him, uh, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. Here I am. The very first thing that we should do is surrender to that. God, you are fundamentally different and fundamentally, uh, and, and excuse me, completely pure. And I have nothing to offer in this moment. I just say, I'm, if you're calling me, here I am. So, some people think because God's holy, that like, you know, God's way out here and he's like shouting at you. No, no, no. He created an environment where he could speak to Moses. I want to say he has turned his face toward us and he has spoken to us because he is holy. Because he is holy, um, he turns his face towards us and speaks. And so we respond with this sense of surrender. Here I am. And then the second part was what? He says, take out the sandals off your feet. Get your shoes off. Take your shoes. Please don't take your shoes off right now. You may offend some people who are down the road from you. Don't, don't do that right now. But you get the sense of what he's saying here. There is something transcendent that is happening. Um, and, and because we surrender... And, and because God is transcendent, this is the story that we tell. Furthermore, like if we don't tell the story of God um, it, it, with a sense of surrender and with a sense of transcendence, we're not representing the God who actually is. We may be representing someone else, something else, but we're not representing uh, the God who is. In previous generations... Um, uh, let's just note this, okay? In previous generations, some of you may have grown up in church. Some of you didn't. Perfectly fine. Uh, but in previous generations, space was a big part of it. Um, so you, you, the church that I grew up in, uh, big, um, high ceiling uh, worship thing, red shag carpet, because everybody had to have red shag carpet back in that day, big chandeliers, stained glass, and this was a holy place. That's what they said. They even call it the sanctuary. Uh, so uh, a friend of mine pastors a church downtown, has the exact same kind of thing. Thankfully, no red shag carpet. Yes, let the church say amen to that. Um, but, but you walk into that place. It's not the worship center. It's not the big room. It's not, it, it is the sanctuary and it is beautiful. In, in previous days, that, that was part of it. In, in previous days, um, uh, at least at the church that I grew up in, uh, people would dress different. They would have Sunday dress. That's what they said. Uh, in previous days, I, I used to make fun of this in my younger and dumber days. Um, I, I try not to do that now, be younger or dumber. Uh, but people, you, do you ever have this guy? Again, these are the people that I grew up with. Um, you'd be talking to somebody, and then it would be their turn to pray, and they would pray, and all of a sudden they would start speaking King James. Like, 
but they did so out of reverence. And so here's the thing. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for the same expressions as back then. I am advocating for that same devotion. God is holy. And so our best response is just to go, you're holy, and, and I'm here, here, here I am. Here I am. Surrender. And I recognize that this is a fundamentally different relationship than any other relationship that I am. So figuratively, in whatever ways that it expresses itself appropriately, I'm going to take my shoes off and just say, man, this is an important, important moment. Third introductory statement follows here. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction. Note these verbs. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. I know their sufferings. God is engaged. I am engaged. That's what he would say. I, I am, just note the verbs. I've seen what's going on. I've seen. There, there's a, um, in theology, there's a particular understanding of God called deism, D-E-I-S-M, deism. And basically, um, it, there were a bunch of people in the 1700s who kind of bought into this because of how strong the teaching on natural law was. And basically what it says is God created the world, spun it into motion, put the natural laws in place, and then just slung it out there into the universe and went, good luck, kids. It's going to be great. And then he backed way off like he's living out beyond Pluto or pick your favorite spot. And he's just watching from afar going, oh, 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 good job. Oh, that was terrible. He's just watching from afar. Um, Some of us think that that's the God who is. Spun it into motion and has basically removed himself. But that's not how the Bible talks about it. God says that he is engaged. He, God is not a deist even if we act as if he is. He has not just spun the world into motion. He is very much engaged. He's seen. He has heard. Why? Because he's not far off. He's not out of earshot. He's not removed. And he knows. Now, when he says no here, it's something along the lines of their suffering has become my suffering. Earlier we talked about how the, the people were, um, uh, the, the, when um, people who, the righteous people who are oppressed cry out that they are uniquely and loudly heard in God's ear. That's kind of the deal here. Um, he is advocating for them, that's for sure. He is allying himself with them, but really like he's taking a step further and he is identifying himself with them. He knows. He knows what's going on there. And furthermore, he's already got a plan in place And is poised to act on that plan like he's bringing it about. So just ponder this with me. Where did he find Moses? Out in the wilderness, right? Where was Moses going to lead the people of God once they were delivered from Egypt? Through the, say it out loud, through the wilderness. Forty years Moses spent out there being a shepherd. He knew every nook and cranny. He knew the water and holes. He knew what was going on. He knew the mountain. He knew, oh my gosh, when when that mountain is there and the wind blows like that, there's probably a storm. I mean, he knew. Forty years of preparation in order to get to the point where he could lead God's people through the wilderness. Church family, God was readying Moses even though he didn't know that he was being readied. He sees, he hears, and he knows. And he is already in this moment working a plan that you may not even know about yet. 
He's preparing you for things that you may not even have a framework for yet. He's at work in ways that we can't or don't see. Fourth introductory statement. I am aware. Uh, I am engaged. Um, and uh, I am holy. Here's the fourth introductory statement. I'm the covenant keeper. I'm the covenant keeper. Look, if you will, down um, here in verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, um, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God um, on this mountain. I, I am the covenant keeper. We talked about last week how God is faithful to his promises. And here he's introducing himself, not to the world, but to Moses. Hey, I am the faithful one. All along, God has made promises. There's a land for my people. There's a place for my people. My people are going to belong. They're going to have a a place. They're going to be a people here in a place. And God, I mean, yes, the circumstances, current circumstances look pretty rough. But there's a place. There's a hope. There is a land out there. There's a better future for my people. I am the covenant keeper is what he's saying. And because God is keeping um, his covenant, because he's bringing these things about, um, I, I I think it's important for us to remember that God's specific call on the life of Moses fit into a broader context of the work of God. So um, let me just like, like the specific thing that God wanted Moses to do, bring my people out of Egypt and get them to the promised land, that little specific window of time and that little specific uh, uh, moment of effort, that would fit into a broader, much broader, much, much, much longer um, scale. Centuries, uh, you know, kind of that's the scale we're talking about. Um, it fit into that kind of context. Is, it, is anybody in your office, in your work, in your um, any other place, like anybody in leadership here? Just raise your hand real big. In any place. If that's the case, guess what? The call that God has on your life in that specific place, in that specific work, in that specific business, in that specific school, the call of God on your life has a broader context in which that fits. That's important for us to remember. We are a part of God's story. We're not the story. And secondly, um, Moses' concern in his moment here, you see this. Uh, he, he says in verse 10, Moses says to God, So who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who, who am I? Moses' concern was his ability. Moses is sitting there. He's looking at the burning bush. Shoes off. Here I am, God. Hey, I'm going to send you. He's like, uh, hey, man, look. I'm just a guy, shepherd, the whole thing, and I've got history even with them. I'm not sure they like me. Uh, Moses' concern was his ability. I, I don't think I'm your guy, God. Some of you feel that way. But God's concern wasn't Moses' ability. He wasn't counting on Moses' ability to do much at all. Mo- Moses' concern was his ability, but God's concern was his availability. So let me give you a New Testament context. Uh, Jesus is teaching all day, talks a lot, longer than me. I gave you a chance, people. I gave you a chance. He's teaching all day long. His disciples come to him like, look, man, 
It's supper time, and these people, they're hungry. There's thousands of them, and they're hungry. Let, go ahead and send them away so that they can find food in the villages around. Jesus is like, I'm not done yet. I hadn't even got to my third point. Let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you. You give them something to eat. And they're like, man, it'd be like three years' worth of salary for us to feed these people. Well, are you serious? Who am I that I should feed these people? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? And Jesus says, tell me what you got. I got some loaves. I got some fish. Jesus goes, that'll be enough. He takes the loaves and the fish, does two things with them. Number one, he blesses them. We like that part. Number two, he breaks them. Mm. He takes loaves and he takes fish. And he blesses and he breaks. And what happens? Everybody gets fed. Everybody gets fed. The, the, the question on the disciples' mind was, how are we going to pull this off? The question on the mind of Jesus was, what's available to me? Church family, the question on Jesus' mind, what's available to me? I'm the covenant keeper. I'm the promise, I'm the promise keeper. I'm the one who's going to make this stuff happen. Now, what's available to me that I can bless and, yes, at times, break? I'm the covenant keeper. God's, let me just, before we run away from this, God's capacity to keep his promise does not depend on us. We may very well actually miss, if, like if I respond to God's promises in, in different ways than in faith, um, we may very well miss out. Uh, just a spoiler alert, Moses doesn't make it to the promised land. He gets to see it, but he doesn't get to go in. Because of his lack of faith, because of his lack of responsiveness to God. Um, but that didn't hinder God's ability to keep his promise. Fifth I am statement. This is the one, if you uh, know an I am statement in Exodus 3, this is probably in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What do I say? What do I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. Just a little pause here, just a word of explanation. Anytime you see in the Old Testament, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord spelled with all caps, that is the uh, proper name of God. Um, in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh, um, depending upon if you grew up in older generations, maybe Jehovah, uh, it's a different um, kind of transliteration of that. Uh, and it is translated probably best in English as I am. So he would like verse 15 would read like this. Um, God also said to Moses, say to the, uh, this to the people of Israel, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Uh, who sent you? I am. What, what does that mean though? Well, okay, so that, that's what it says. Uh, but what does it mean? Here, two things. Number one, he's the only one who gets to define himself. That's it. 
Circumstances don't get to define him. Uh, changing cultural ties don't get to define him. Um, uh, changing, you know, uh, winds of, uh, of thought or um, anything else like that, they don't get to define him. Responses to that don't get to define him. Attitudes don't get to define him or dependence on any of that stuff. None of that stuff gets to define him. He's the only one who gets to define himself. Um, and I want to say this both with a crazy amount of compassion, but also with a, a substantial amount of clarity. God, um, my opinion of God doesn't matter much to him. Like, I, well, God, I wish you were this way. God doesn't rub his head like, oh, oh, maybe I need to think about that. God is who he is, and he's the only one who gets, when he says in verse 14, I am who I am. It, my, my opinion of I am doesn't really matter at that point. He is, um, he is who he is. A.W. Tozer said, is the most important thought a man can have or a woman can have the thought that they think about God. It's important that we understand who he is. But it's not as if I get to make up who he is. He says, I am who I am. And where that shakes down for you and for me is uh, this, this second bullet. Is that um, because he says, I am who I am. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. And for some, man, they approach that as, oh, man, God, dude, stick in the mud, God, what are you doing here? Like in 2021 BC, maybe it was good to be like that, but like AD 2021, it's a whole different thing. Like, God, you're on the wrong side of history. You should get with the program, like all of that kind of stuff. Here's the thing, though, and this is my response when people argue in that same vein. It goes like this. Um, listen, I don't know about you. I want me, me. I, I want to live in relationship with a God that I can count on because in my best of days, if God's like this, I can count on him. And when things go sideways, I want that same God. I don't want to worry about, I don't want to question, I don't want to know if he's going to be the same. When uh, Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. My, my man, on the day when I'm counting on him to be this, um, that's, that's good. And I'm counting on it. When the things change, when, when the office shifts, when the cultural stuff happens, when the political situation changes, when my body starts breaking down, when the relationship goes sideways, when things aren't working like they're supposed to, I still want to count on the same God and know who that God is. Okay, if, I, if, if he were to change and I didn't know, if I, I wouldn't have anybody to count on over here when things went crazy. But I know who he is. And who is he? I am who I am. And I'll be that way tomorrow. And I'll be that way next week. And I'll be that way the day after that. I am who I am. He cannot get better. He won't get worse. He is who he is. Last thing. Verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you, what has been done to you in Egypt. I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then verse 18. And they will listen to your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say, the Lord, the I am, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness. We may sacrifice um, to the I am, our God. So here's, here's the last I am. I am in control. I am in control. 
God's speaking to Moses. Moses is like, look, man, I don't know how this is going to shake out. You don't worry about how it's going to shake out. I'm in control. You go and say, and here's what's going to happen. The people who are my people, they will listen. He speaks. And when he speaks, his people respond. Now, not always quickly. Not always perfectly. Nobody amen that, I noticed. He speaks and his people respond. Not always quickly, not always perfectly, but they do respond. But they do respond because they're his people. Jesus said this way in John 10, My sheep hear my voice and they know it and they follow me. He speaks and his people respond. That's what he says here. You're going to go and you're going to say to the elders, Hey, this is what God's told us to do. And the people are going to go, He's our God. This is what we're doing. Verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And um, after that, he will let you go. He's in control. So he speaks and his people respond, but he speaks and others, people who are not his people, they reject his word. And just count on that. Like just know that uh, when God speaks his word to people who aren't his people, they'll be like, no, man, I I don't get that at all. But that doesn't mean just because they reject God's word, that doesn't mean that uh, God's not in control. He's got it. Go to Pharaoh. He won't let you go. So I'm going to do something incredible. And when, when that happens, they reap the consequences of their own sin. God uses these moments, though, to display his power and his goodness. He wants to put his power on display um, and his goodness. He's not going to be mocked. He's going to put on display his power and his goodness. So um, I, I, this was in a book a couple of, uh, published uh, a couple of years ago. I heard it again this week, and it just really stuck with me. Frank and I were talking about it, and, um, and I was just thinking uh, about this. How, how many of you taught your kids to swim on the side of your pool or a pool? How many of you taught your kids to swim? Raise your hand real high, yes. Okay. Uh, God bless you for all your patience, because if you haven't taught a kid to swim, if you sent your kid to swim lessons, all that kind of stuff, this is how parents, like, you get the kid on the side of the pool, and you're like, come on, jump to daddy, jump to daddy. And the kid goes, why in the world would I jump to you? Like, it's scary, that man. Are you able to kill I don't think that's the case. So you go over there, and you, like, grab their fingers, and you pull them into you, and you clasp them to your chest. And then you get your workout in because you lift them back up and then you do it again. Just lift. And eventually it gets to the point, okay, so they start leaning in, right? And you catch them and you dip them in the water just a little bit. And you kind of go through the process until they're leaning, until you, and you, you catch them and you make sure. And then they kind of gingerly jump to you, kind of lean, fall, jump to you. And then you just kind of work through the process all along. All along, what you're wanting them to do, what I as a dad am wanting them to do is trust me. Now, um, I'm the dad. I am in the mix. I am engaged. I am a trustworthy dad as as this is unfolding, right? I'm trying to prove to them uh, that I am trustworthy. And, And so my, what I would say to them, my arms are strong, kiddo. I'll catch you. I promise you I will. And my heart is good. I am not going to let you go under. I'm not. Now, there's other people in the pool. Uncle Bobby over there, he'd trick you. Don't listen to him. You'd jump in, he'd be like, ha, 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 and then pull you out. Don't do it. But uh, not, not me. My arms are strong. And my heart is good. There is something in that process that he's trying to communicate. 
that I'm trying to communicate to, to this kid who's jumping in the pool because I want them to trust me, not just in the pool, but in life. We're only in chapter 3. There's some crazy stuff to come. There is greater hardship and persecution. There is unbelievable deliverance. There is a body of water that turns into dry land. There is a mountain at which they get to stop and rest for a while. God has all this stuff out in front of them in the following episodes of Exodus. Why is he telling, why is he revealing himself to them right now? Because he wants them to trust him as they walk. And what he's saying is, come on, come on. My arms are strong and my heart is good. I am your father. You can trust me. My arms are strong and my heart is good. And I think that's what he's saying to us as a church family and us individually. My arms are strong and my father heart toward you. It is good. It's for you're good. So just trust me. Yeah, there's some stuff up ahead. Yes, there'll be some things that'll blow your mind. Yes, there will be moments where you're like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. There'll be some moments where you want to cry and go, I think you led us wrong here. My arms are strong and my heart is good. I don't know where that lands for you with your family, with your health, with your job, with your stuff with your kids, with your, with your, with your, with your, with your. But I do know that God, no matter the situation, no matter the scenario, no matter the circumstance, the the place where you find yourself, God's saying to you, my arms are strong and my heart, it's good. It's for you. You can trust me. I am who I am and I'll be the same way tomorrow. So if you're a follower of Jesus in here, we're going to give you just a moment to have a little uh, introspection time. Maybe just keep your Bible open. Maybe keep your notes open. Listen to the song that they're going to sing. And just think to you, think, pray. Like, God, where are you wanting me to trust you? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're watching online or maybe you're here in the room, I, I want to invite you to surrender to him. Go ahead and jump in. You'll find that he's going to catch you. His arms are strong. His heart is good because the arms that catch you are arms that have been pierced. That Jesus is strong enough to to carry not only the situation in which you find yourself right now, but your sin. The hands that are reaching out for you have been pierced by nails so that you can understand what it means to be forgiven and to be given new life. This is the God who calls you. This is the God who is the I am. And you could surrender to him today. So let me pray for us. We'll have a minute um, of reflection and response. Tyler will be back to dismiss us in just a moment. Let's pray. Um, Father, we just, I simply recognize today um, that there's, there's a pretty broad spectrum of content 
that you've spoken to your people. And so it may land differently on different people. So uh, even more than most Sundays, Father, I'm, I'm trusting that by your spirit, you will speak to your people, land on your people, minister to your people, apply this to your people, push this down into your people so that it really, really sticks. Uh, for some of us, God, that's a tremendous comfort. For some of us, it's, it's, man, it stirs us up and provokes us in some ways. But our confession is you are who you are. And what we know of you is that you've reached out to us and are inviting us into a kind of life that trusts you. So Lord, I just, I pray that you would draw people to yourself here. Let people put marriages in your hands and kids in your hands and health in your hands jobs in your hands futures in your hands let him put them in your hands and God would you receive that continue to minister continue to speak do what you will among us we ask this in Christ's name Amen.